Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. Psalms, chapter 90. While you're turning there, we want to remember our pastor tonight. He's actually in St. Louis. Um, since he's become the North American, missions, or North American Missions Director for the state of Alabama, he has some obligations there this week, some classes and such, and he and his sister Britt are there. So keep them in your prayers. Uh, while they make their travels and pray they have a safe travel on the way back. If you have Psalm 90, be, uh, you, you can remain seated it's, fine, seated, it's fine. We'll be looking at verse 10. And starting with verse 10, the Bible says, The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I just want to talk to you tonight a little bit just about fulfilling, fulfilling and realizing your full potential. Let's pray and ask God to be with us tonight. And if, if you have any, any requests, just make that known by the raising of your hand. We'll pray that the Lord will meet you in your needs. Lord, we worship you tonight, God. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. God, we thank you for your spirit that's already met us here this, this night, God. We pray that you will be with us through the remainder of this service. God, I pray that you'll go before us. I pray that you'll keep your hand upon our pastor and his wife as they travel and make their way back, God. Pray that you'll bless everyone that's made the effort to be here tonight, Lord. Let us gain some knowledge, Lord. Let us be moved by your spirit in some way, and let us be motivated to do a little more for you each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, we see here in uh, the book of Psalm, where I just read in chapter 90, that a man is given 70 years to live on the earth. And if he has the strength, he might make it to 80. The average lifespan of an American male is about 78 years. <clears throat> the average lifespan of a female, American female, is about 83 years. As of 2019, the average life expectancy for the world was almost 73 years. So it's pretty amazing to me that the book of Psalm, which is supposedly written around 1500 B.C., that's almost 3,500 years ago, that that passage still remains true even today. Of course, there are some exceptions. The oldest person currently alive is Juan Mora of Venezuela. And in May, he turned 113 years old. The oldest person in the history of the modern world was Jean Calment. She was a French woman who lived to be 122 years and 164 days, and she passed away in 1997. And then, of course, there's old Methuselah. The Bible says he lived to be about 969 years old, 
And when I was looking at this during the week, I thought, you know, one thing I've always wondered about Methuselah is we never hear anybody talk about it, but sometimes I just wonder weird stuff, I think, is at what point did he lose all of his teeth? Did he lose all of his teeth? You know, did he, did he have all of his hair? Did he, did he slump over when he walked? Did he stand upright? Did he walk at all? There's just some things. And then I thought, well, what does he even, did he even smell like? You know, at 900 years old, do you begin to rot a little bit? I don't know. You know, that's a long time for the blood to pump through those veins and through that heart. Then there was Enoch and Elijah. Both were able to avoid death by being taken away by God. And even though they didn't die, they still had limited time on this earth. And the point of all this is that regardless of how long you live, how long God gives us on this earth, you and I, we all have an expiration date. The Bible says that it is appointed unto men once to die. But this, after this is the judgment. So the question is, what do we do with the time we have? The thing about life that is if we make it past the age of 18, we're pretty much free to choose how we spend every day. We don't have a choice in how we meet death, though. I guess it's debatable that if you're careless and you make poor decisions and poor choices, you might meet an untimely or an undesirable death. Or if you disobey or dishonor your parents, your days will be shortened, the Bible says. But there's no way to know how we'll depart from this earth. We just don't know. About the closest you could get, I guess, is if you're diagnosed with an illness and you have an idea of what's coming. Proverbs does, however, give us some insight on how to possibly lengthen our days, though. And not only how to lengthen our days, but also how to improve our quality of life. In Proverbs 3, starting with verse 1, the Bible says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Life can't be divided into secular and sacred realms, but we must trust in God in all his, our ways, in all our ways. Be not wise in thine own eyes, verse 7 says. In other words, we can't regard our wisdom as better or greater than God's. In other words, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know better than God. Then it goes on to say, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Skipping down to verse 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. So having wisdom is better than having silver and gold. Verse 15, she is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days 
is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are of plenteous or pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life. Wisdom is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Skipping to verse 21. My son, let, them, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. When you exercise godly wisdom, you have peace. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. When you exercise godly wisdom, the Lord will protect you. So it seems apparent to me that if I want to maximize my life, I need wisdom. And not just my wisdom, but I need godly wisdom. And when I begin to understand that his ways are higher than my ways, and I begin to understand that he sees things from a whole different perspective than what I do. He sees things from a bird's eye view. He sees what's coming my way. He sees what's coming around the corner that I don't see. Has anybody ever told their kids not to do something? Because you knew the danger it presented. You've been there before. You'd seen it before. You knew if they did that one thing, it was going to hurt them, whether it was playing on the playground the wrong way, whether it was making a bad decision in school with some friends, whatever it was, you'd been there before, so you knew the dangers that they were about to face. You knew the consequences they were about to face. It's the same way with God. He's already been there. He knows the steps that I take. He sees the end from the beginning. There's nothing that's not on his radar. There's nothing under his radar. He sees all and he knows all. He's been there already. So it should be no surprise to us that when we begin to walk in the will of God, that things just work out. When things don't seem like they should work, they work. When things fall into place and we don't expect them to fall into place, it's because we're walking in the will of God. If you're ever wondering if what the will of God is for your life or if you're walking in his will, well, I can tell you that when you're walking in the will of God, and obeying him, he will confirm his voice in your life with his word. God's word will always validate the direction he has for your life. His word will always give you the direction that you need. His word and his will will not contradict each other. And walking in the will of the Lord isn't about me saying, well, God, you know, I'm really good at this or that. Or, you know, God, I have a lot of experience in this field. And I'm really talented at, at doing this. So what I'll do is I'm going to take my talent and my experience, and we can run with that, and you just cover me when I mess up. You just make up the difference. You know, you give me what I'm lacking, and I'll just tell you how we're going to do it. It doesn't work that way. 
God says, this is what my will is, and this is what I want you to do. He's the one that's in the driver's seat, not us. We're the passengers that are just along for the ride. Like the old song says, lead me, Lord, and I will follow. Now, I can say this. I'm certainly, if anybody in here is guilty of it, I am guilty of being one that would say, oh, you know, this is what I want. This is how I'm going to do it. I've got the perfect plan. I know exactly how it's going to work out. I know exactly how I'm going to do it. I know exactly what I want to do. I know when I want this to happen and that to happen and that's going to happen. And then it's it's going to work out perfect. And not once did I ask God about how he felt about it. Then I decide to let God in on the plan. And I let him know that what his role is in the plan and what I'm expecting from him during this process and how it's going to be. I'm like, now, God. I just need you to do this. God, I just need you to do that. Just bless this endeavor that I'm about to embark upon. And then, Lord, once that happens, I'll give you the glory for everything. But that's not what God says. God is saying, why don't you just stop and listen? Listen to what I'm trying to say to you. He's saying, just stop being busy for the sake of being busy. Don't move unless I say move. Don't go unless I say go. He's saying, wait and listen. Don't even entertain something new or something great or some great idea you have without asking me first, is what he's saying. And I wonder to myself, too, and my wife probably wonders as well, I wonder how much better, or I wonder how much money I could have saved over the years, or how much time I could have spared over the years if I'd have just taken time to ask God what I was about to do. Is this your will or not? And I wonder how much better I can hear God's voice when I begin to eliminate unnecessary distractions. Have you ever been in a loud restaurant and you're trying to carry on a conversation with some people with you. Maybe it's you and another couple or a group of people, and you're, you're trying to talk, but the restaurant's so loud, you almost have to yell at one another to hear. Now, that works great if you've got a screaming kid like I do, the little girl over there that keeps yelling my name. Me and my wife, we love it when we can go to a restaurant and we feel like we can relax because it's so loud, nobody can hear our kids screaming. It's kind of stressful if you don't know what I'm talking about. But when you want to be able to know what's being said by the people you're with, it's not such a great thing to be in such a loud restaurant. But if you really need to have a serious conversation with someone or maybe your spouse and you have something you need to talk about, then what you normally do is you want to find a quiet place. You don't go to a loud, crowded restaurant. You probably don't even stay in the living room where the kids can hear or anyone else can hear. But you find a quiet place. You find a place where there are no distractions. You put away your cell phones or you turn off all distractions. You listen to what one another has to say. And you don't interrupt. You just listen. That is what God is saying. He just wants us to listen to his voice. That may mean we have to put away some things. 
That may mean we have to eliminate some distractions. That may mean we have to drown out some of the loud noises that are in our own homes or in our own lives. And are there any loud voices in your, in your, in your world tonight, in your life tonight? Are there distracting things in our world tonight, in our own lives? Are there things that are drawing our attention away from the sacred time we have with God? Are there things that we need to consider? Are we drowning out the one voice that matters? Or is he trying to communicate to us, but we have too many other voices in our own lives that's drowning out the one voice that matters? He tells us in his word that we should lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. He says every weight, not just some weights, not just the heavy weights, but the every weight. If I'm honest, over the past week or week and a half, God has been dealing with me over some things, and these are things that are not sins necessarily, but they are distractions. You know, there's, I can think of how many times I've just, out of habit, just picked up my cell phone and just looked at it just to see if there was something there. And even today, just look at it, see if I, it made a noise, it vibrated. So I'm checking to see if there's a text or if there's an email or if there's some sort of notification. And, and then I go to bed and it sits on the nightstand and it buzzes and I check and it's always a distraction. And God's been dealing with me about these things. And he's been showing me some things that I need to change in my own family. And as I've begun to eliminate these distractions in my life, I can, I can feel the Lord is beginning to draw me closer to him. It hasn't come without objection, not in my household. If you have a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. As we've made some changes, you know, I hear it from my son, who's 17, that he's almost 18, Dad. You know, I'm almost 18. When I'm turning 18, I can move out if I want to. Why can't I just do what I want to do, Dad? But that's okay. You know, we can deal with those things. We can deal with those, those objections because we know what's best for our family. And if God's dealing with you in any direction or anything like that, I encourage you to heed that direction, to listen to the voice of God for that direction because he only means it for good. He only looks for what's the best for us. But with all this, his voice seems a little bit louder in my life. I know last night I went to bed and I've, I've actually, I'm not trying to make myself look good. This is just something I've felt over a period of weeks. And there's other ministers in here. We had a minister's meeting and that was discussed. I wasn't in that meeting, but I read the book. And it's just been, there's been some things that God's been dealing with me about to eliminate. And I laid in bed last night and I'd gotten in a habit to where I like to get on YouTube and watch videos about whatever it is I'm interested in, whether it's money stuff, whether it's pressure washing stuff, whatever kind of just nonsense stuff. And I'll stay up for an hour watching nothing. And I laid in the bed last night and I realized I just put my arms behind my head on my pillow and I thought it was almost weird because I was just laying there and I didn't have a light shining in my face. And then I was able to all of a sudden hear the voice of God because I had eliminated those distractions the voice of God began to move in, and he began to talk to me about some things. And he just began to tell me what he thought about some things. And I just sit there and I listened. I didn't think I opened my mouth, but I just listened to what the Lord was trying to tell me. And it's something I haven't experienced in some time. 
I remember as a teenager growing up, I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone until I was like 22. But I remember being a teenager and in my own bed at night, I would lay there and the voice of God would come in and he would begin to talk. And he would begin to say things to me and he would begin to move on me and tell me what his plans were for my life and what, what he wanted to do in my life. And those are times that you can't, you can't live without. Those are times that you, you can't, there's nothing that can replace those times when the Lord speaks to us in a still, small voice, when we're in a place where we can hear his voice and know that he is touching our lives in that moment, that can't be replaced. And the Lord's been dealing with me this week and last week about that. And, and he wants us to listen to his voice. But in order to listen to his voice, we have to be able to hear his voice. And it makes it a whole lot easier to hear his voice when there are not a, lot or not, not a lot of other voices in the mix. We can hear him a lot better in a quiet place. A wise man listens to the voice of God. If we want to reach our full potential, we have to listen to the voice of God. She's going to play a quick video, and it's about the voice of God. Way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. And a pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here. And I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. you got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it. And I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up, and it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're going <laughs> to. And I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently, and we start climbing. And it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing, and we flew probably three, four minutes. And something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head. And he starts mumbling and he passes out, passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you gotta wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello, 
We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, tell them we don't know nothing. Tell them we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell them that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm gonna get Anchorage emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we got to do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not gonna obey my voice, you're gonna die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're gonna crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice? Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand, without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage, and there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die, but I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're gonna make it. But listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices and everybody in this world wants to talk to you and everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm gonna line you up. He said, I'm gonna bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop, and the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. 
but they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room in about four in the morning, a knock at my door. And I opened the door and a man was standing there. He said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the voice of God? Aren't you thankful for the voice? I have to say, are we listening to the voice? Do we hear the voice? Are there too many distractions in our life where we can't hear and we can't feel? It's the voice. It's the voice that's going to bring us home, he said. It's the voice that's going to give us direction. It's the voice of the Lord that's going to protect us. I'm going to close here in just a few minutes, but there's a tragedy in not understanding your full potential. There's a tragedy in not realizing your full potential. In order for someone to not fulfill their full potential in the Lord, they would have to ignore the voice of God. If you don't want to fulfill what God has for you, you know, it's easy for people. Everyone has potential. Everyone has a certain level that they can achieve. And I think a lot of times people achieve things in life and they reach a level of potential. They reach a certain portion or maybe a percentage of their full potential. You can be super successful in your job. You can be super successful in life. But you can't reach your full potential, in my opinion, unless you live for God. Unless you obey His voice. We can't reach our full potential. That's the only way. It's to do what He says to do when He says do it. And it's not always easy. It's hard sometimes. And I know sometimes it's, it's, you feel like you're not good enough. And a lot of times it's fear that keeps us from moving in that direction. And it's fear that binds us and brings us down. And we make excuses as to why we're not good enough. And, you know, Jesus said that there's no man good. No man is good but God. So when we feel like we're not good enough, we're partly right. But God makes up the difference. I think the Lord designed us with a need for him. He made us because with a weakness, with something wrong, with a defect, because he knows that he can make up the difference. He knows that he can fix the problem. 
And then we realize when he fixes the problem, we see how weak we really are without him. And he shows us how much we need him in that moment. I want to share one more little story. and It's a personal story, and I debated whether or not to share it because I don't, I don't think I've shared it here before, and I don't really share it much with people at all. But I'll never forget when I first felt the call to ministry, when I realized that God was calling me more to be more than just a saint. But I was 17, and I'm not saying, I don't mean to say to be more than a saint because there's something better. I'm just saying to be more than just someone that sits on a pew. Let me put it that way. More, to be more involved in, in the work of God. I felt God dealing with me about doing something. You know, whether it was teaching Bible studies, whatever it was. And I began to think that the Lord was calling me to a ministry. And I was very skeptical of it. I felt the call of God on my life for a while. And I remember thinking, well, you know, Lord, I would like a sign for you to tell me so I'll know. And I was like, I know that Gideon did that, and it probably wasn't a good idea. But I'm just going to try what Gideon did anyway. And so one day I went out. I was 17. I went outside, and I, I laid a, a, a bath towel over the hood of my mom's car. And I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to be a preacher or whatever, then I need you to soak the towel, but let the car be dry. Well, it didn't happen. So the next day I went back out and I said, okay, God, I'm going to lay on the ground, and now you just let all the ground be wet, but the towel be dry. Well, it didn't work out. So I, I knew what God wanted me to do, but I was still trying. I just wanted some confirmation. So then one day I was still praying about it and battling in my mind about it because I really didn't believe God would do that, would want to use me that way. I didn't feel good enough. So I said, okay, Lord. I was opening the fridge up one day, and <clears throat> I was looking for some food and probably cheese. I think my mom had to buy cheese every day because me and my sister would eat it so fast. But then we didn't have any lights in the fridge, and it was one of those refrigerators that was older, and it only had like one little screw-in incandescent bulb in the back, and it was out. And I was like, okay, Lord, do this for me. If you want me to preach your word, let the lights work in the refrigerator. And I've learned since then, you, can, you need to be specific with God. It helps if you're specific. Because a lot of times he'll answer your prayer, and you may still feel confused just as much as you were before because you weren't specific enough. So anyway, time goes on. It's probably a few weeks, and I hadn't thought much more about it. And one day we, we got a new refrigerator. And I wasn't thinking much about it. We, I've been in the fridge in and out. Then just one day, I happened to open up, open up the fridge, and I was looking for some cheese, and I realized the lights are on in this refrigerator. And I thought, and they weren't just one little bulb in the back. This was like stadium lighting. I mean, it was just bright. It was like glaring in your face. And then it hit me all of a sudden that God was confirming his word in my life. And for me, that was all it took. When I felt that confirmation, I felt the witness of the Holy Ghost, and that confirmation of what I've been feeling all that time, I immediately, I told my mom and dad, I said, look, I got to go to the church. I'm going to go pray for a while. And I remember going, I got in my truck, and I went down the road, and I was passing neighbors' houses. And I remember just reaching my hand out towards the window and praying over each house that I passed. Because in that moment, I realized the weight of the responsibility of that call. And I knew that 
I had a responsibility for every person in that city, and I felt that weight. And so I had to get to the church to talk to God because even then I wasn't sure about it. And time went on, and I went to Bible college, and God used me in some great ways, and it was great, and it was awesome, but then I still had this doubt in my mind the whole time. When I got there, I got in an unfamiliar place, and there was people I didn't know, and in my mind, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm being as transparent as I can be, and I'm sorry if it makes me look bad, but in my mind, I wasn't good enough. Compared to everybody else there, I wasn't good enough. I'm from little old Moulton, Alabama, and I'm not good enough to do what these guys are doing. I'm not good enough to do what all these other people are doing. And that began to grow in my spirit. It began to grow in me. And I didn't shut it down, and I let it grow. I left Bible school. We actually had, we had opportunities to go. I could have left. I stayed and worked at the school for a year. We were leaving the school, and I could have gone to Maryland, and there was a couple other states. They needed youth pastors. But I was just, my mind, right when I thought about it, I said, no, that's not me. I'm not qualified for that. I'm not good enough for that. So I wanted to go back home to my home church. So I thought, if I get back to my home church, that's an opportunity to be around people I know, that I'm familiar with. It's a safe place. I can grow that way. Things didn't work out. I ended up back in Texas. And every time an opportunity would come, hey, would you like to teach tonight? Would you like to do this? Would you like? I would always shut it down. I always came up with an excuse. There was actually one time Brother Bernard, I don't know if most of you probably know who Brother Bernard is. He's the superintendent of the UPCI now. But he asked me to teach one night on a Wednesday night. And I thought, my Lord, what can I say to his people that they don't already know? He's like this brilliant man. He's wrote, you know, all kinds of books about everything you can think about. We used his books as textbooks in school. What am I going to tell his people? So I told him, I said, yeah, let me think about it. I need to check with work. So I went to work. And I said, hey, you need you to put me on the schedule for this Wednesday night so I don't have to teach. And I lived that way for years. I lived that way for years. And I want you to know it was the most miserable times of my life. Knowing that, knowing that you weren't fulfilling the, the call is you weren't realizing, that you weren't understanding the potential that God had. Wasting years. Those wasted years turns into to affecting your household, affecting your family. My family's paid consequences. As a result, I have a daughter who's not in church. She looks just like the world. She's 19, but I've seen her speak in tongues. I've seen her live for God. But she's turned her back on God now. And I sometimes I gotta deal with that. Was it my fault? Was it well, my other reason why she's in the point in the state she's in now? Because I was running and hiding from God because I was so afraid of what God would do, or more so what God wouldn't do. And then I realized that. The only way to do it is just, you just got to do it. You can't make up excuses. You know, this was, it was always easy for me to stay behind the scenes. It was easy to, to just 
do the legwork. I like to work. I didn't mind to go put chairs up. I didn't mind to go sit up for events. I didn't mind doing any of that. I didn't mind teaching behind the scenes in a small group. But don't ever get me up on the stage. Don't ever do that. But that was part of what I was called to do. And I rejected it. And because of my fear, and I wanted to reject that, I was rejecting God. And I was rejecting the blessings he had for me on my life. And I'm telling you, it's a miserable state. It's a miserable state to be in when you're not fulfilling the will of God in your life. You know, there was the story of the fig tree. Jesus is hungry, and he wants some fruit. The fig tree has leaves on it. I've read several commentaries on this. They all kind of say something different. Some believe it was in season. Some believe it wasn't in season. But regardless, the Lord was hungry. So he went to the fig tree to eat. We know the story. The fig tree didn't have any fruit, so he cursed the tree. So the point of the story is we should always be ready whenever God calls on us. It may be not, we may not feel like it's our time. We may, may not feel like it's the right moment. But if God's calling on us to do something, if you hear his voice tugging at your heart, if you feel his spirit tugging on you to do more, it's time to move. Because I know I don't want to be cursed like the fig tree. It took me a long time to get back to where I would just do what God said do. And I want to tell you, I've lived a blessed life since then. The Lord has blessed me in so many ways. And when I thought I couldn't be restored, he restored me. When I thought things couldn't happen again, they've happened. It's not ideal. It's not the best way to go about it. That's just what happened. There's some of you that you've always done exactly what God wanted you to do. But there's somebody here tonight, or either they're listening online, or they're going to hear this lesson some other way. They need to hear this word that God is wanting us to realize our full potential. Can we stand? I think this church is a great church, but I don't think it's a church that's meant to only have 20% participation. A lot of churches only have 20% of the people that will do the work. This church can be different. You people that are here tonight, you're the core people. They're willing to show up on a Wednesday night when you're tired. You're probably hungry. You're ready to go home and go to bed, but you're here because you're faithful to the house of God. God's, the Bible says that the labors are few. The harvest is, is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers into the harvest. But the question remains, are we listening to his voice? And if we hear his voice, are we obeying what he has called us to do? Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for this night, God. I thank you for what you've done in this place, God. I thank you for your spirit that's here. Lord, and I pray that if it's just one person that's been moved to do something more for you, God. I pray that you will work on that person. 
Lord, we pray that we'll go out of this place blessed. God, be with us all. Keep us safe. Keep your hand upon our pastor and his wife. We give you the praise and glory for all things. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.